Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there. Welcome to episode 31 of ATL and 29. There's no guest today. Uh, it's just me. I wanted to talk a little bit about the playoffs as we transition from Washington to Atlanta and Game 2 to Game 3. I'm going to plug in a little bit of audio from Dennis Schroeder talking Friday after practice. He was terrific, as he usually is. Um, You know, when you're going around the Hawks locker room and you talk about people who are good to interview, you know, Paul Millsap is terrific because he ducks nothing. You know, you can always go to him, and he will always talk, and he'll always take the time to be careful about it and think about it and give you something that's a reasonable opinion about what happened in the basketball game. Kent Bazemore is terrific because he's enthusiastic, and he'll share a lot with you and and talk in tons and tons of volume. But Dennis Schroeder is especially good because he's candid. Uh, He'll tell you what's on his mind. He'll tell you about his philosophy of basketball. And he's really, really smart. He's absorbed a ton of basketball knowledge from some very smart basketball people like Dirk Nowitzki and Paul Millsap and German coach Chris Fleming and Nets coach Kenny Atkinson and and, and Mike Budenholzer. So uh, here's a few minutes of him talking strategy and trash talk with John Wall and everything in between, and it's a really great four or five minutes. Uh, I think Washington, you know, they took care of business at home, like I said before. And I think we got to do the same thing now, you know, uh, protect home court, and take possession by possession, um, game by game, you know, got to win this one tomorrow, and then we try to move forward. You know, I think uh, defensively, we're doing the same thing still. Um, Bradley deal is going to be a little bit more aggressive, but um, John Wall, I think, pretty much, we watch film, we did a great job on him, and we're going to keep doing it. When you guys look at the last six minutes of that game, too, that was kind of where it went from game three up to, to losing, how, how much emphasis is just on that stretch of the game? I mean, uh, we got to do the, you know, the same thing the whole game. <laughs> I think it's just, I think we attacked the, the basket early, you know, um, the first three quarters. And um, I think we just got to keep doing it, you know, keep pushing it, keep sharing the ball. Don't try to get stuck, you know, uh, holding the ball or having, like, bad possessions or a bad shot. You know, we just got to stick to, to our game. What's the hardest thing they do defensively? I mean, they're very aggressive. But I think we can break them after the first pass. You know, everything is uh, in the lane is wide open. So when they set the screen, you know, they're really aggressive. So it's really hard to hit the low guy. But if the guy 
who were rolling got the ball, it's really easy to finish. So we, or I got to do a better job, you know, getting it to the roller. And, uh, yeah, and then Paul or Elsa, whoever it is, is going to make the right play. For the pick and rolls on the other end, it looks like you're dropping the big man back. When you're the guard in that arrangement, what are you trying to achieve in that setup to defend somebody like Wall? I mean, it's tough, you know, he's, uh, he's a great, um, I mean, finisher, you know. Um, transition is the biggest key, but uh, we want him to shoot, so uh, we play in center field, so the big uh, big man falls back, you know, after pick and roll, and it's basically one against two. You know, I got to guard him, I can't get screened, and I got to go over the screen, and just uh, contest them from the back, you know, hear the mirror and uh, just do my best. And I mean, when he hits a couple of shots, you know, that's what we want. But I mean, he makes them right now, you know, and uh, now it's really hard to guard him. But we're going to stick to our system, how we play, and um, we're going to be fine. What adjustments did you make in transition defense to allow the improvement from game one to game two? scored 32 uh, in the first game. Last game was 16. So we did a great job, you know, the four men uh, went back, um, plus the one, two, and three. And uh, I think we did a great job, you know, uh, finding most dangerous on the weak side. And um, yeah, we did a, did a great job over there, and uh, we got to keep doing it. What has been the difference with the offense, though, in the playoffs, compared to how it was playing there, those two games against the Cavs, game against the Celtics, I mean, it's the playoffs or something different. Um, but I think we just got to, everybody got to believe in it, you know, and um, everybody got to play the right way, like I said before. And um, if we're doing these things, you know, um, you know, we can win this first game tomorrow and then we just got to keep grinding, keep grinding 48 minutes each game and uh, try to win the other game. How did you guys address the last five minutes when you have the and they go on that 16-4 run? What could have been done differently to prevent that dramatic of a run like I said before, we, we just got to move the ball. Um, I think we did it uh, three quarters, but we got to keep it for the whole game for 48 minutes. Play the same way. Dennis, there was a, uh, a moment there where John Wall said something to you. What, 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 what was the, uh, the story behind that? It's been bouncing around a lot since that game. I mean, he's talking. He talking. And, uh, I mean, I like him, you know. Um, he's competing. I think he's the best. But, I mean, we're doing the same thing. Uh, coach don't want me to talk like that. You want me to be like San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard, and <laughs> so it's kind of tough, you know. So um, I like to talk as well, but sometimes, you know, you got to be bigger than that. You know, you got to uh, think about the team. And uh, I do this, like, you know, every game I give everything I have, you know, to um, to defend them. But, you know, it's tough, you know, for 35 minutes, you running up the court and doing all these things, but um, I'm going to keep trying and uh, keep doing my thing. You know, when I was talking, uh, on the uh, second game, you know, I was talking shit too. So. <laughs> you know, it happens. Sometimes it's, it's just like that, you know, you're competing, you did a great play, you just talk, you know. Um, that's the reason he reminded me, you know, because I play the same way, you know, like I do the same thing, so. Um, I can't blame him. I, I, guess there was, I, I guess there was something though that he said back uh, in an interview uh, in 2015. You'd said to Ken to like hit his wrist when his wrist was <laughs> That's bullshit. So uh, I guess he disputes the story that he asked somebody to smack Wall on the hand back in 2015.
All right, so there is a lot to cover there. Uh, let's start with the defense. Uh, on the pick and roll defense, you know, you hear him say something like, um, you know, they want to use the same strategy, just be better at it. And so you get the feeling that they're going to continue to drop the big in the pick and roll. That if, if Dwight Howard's out there in pick and roll defense, he's going to sit back and just kind of play safety around the goal as Wall and Gortat bear down on him. While Dennis tries to make plays from behind, you know, chase people off the three-point line, make it difficult. And then, you know, the three other defenders can stay home on three-point shooters, which is the real key here. And the Hawks have done a pretty good job of keeping the Wizards from killing them from three-point land. I mean, that's the real key to the strategy here. They don't want Wall to feast on 15-footers, but given the choice between that and them having wide-open three-pointers, you know, the 15-footer is probably a better shot to give up than a layup or a three. He also said that, that they would be this, about the same level of aggression with respect to Wall, but they want to be more aggressive on Beal. Um... And just as a side note, there's a part in there where I think you can hear me and other people laughing. That's because Tim Hardaway Jr. initially uh, stood there next to Schroeder as if they were going to do it together. But then Schroeder got the first couple of questions and Hardaway bolted at that point. So we were just kind of chuckling as he kind of did a, uh, a limbo type move and kind of ducked through a large scrum of people uh, packed in there tightly. So as I said a minute ago, you know, they're going to try to play that sort of uh, drop back pick and roll defense. You know, and you hear Schroeder say things like, that's what we want with respect to those, you know, Wall and Beal taking the 15-footers. The We're going to stick to the system. Again, that makes it sound like they're going to continue to do the same thing. My only question is, you know, if they do something different for the purpose of offense, you know, if they go small and they use more... Ilyasova, more Mike Muscala. If they do things like that, you know, does that change what they want to do at de on defense because they won't have the same level of rim protection that they have when Dwight's out there? So that's one thing to look for. But other than that, it sounds like they're going to be using the same style of defense and they're pretty happy with the theory behind it, maybe not the execution and maybe not necessarily uh, with Hardaway's execution with respect to Beal. On pick and roll offense, I thought Schroeder was, you know, saying something very interesting there. He was saying that the Wizards play the pick and roll pass very aggressively. It's hard to make the pass, but he wants to make more of them because he feels like if he makes it and makes it successfully, the roll man's going to have a nice clear shot at the rim once the pass gets there. And I don't I don't disagree with him one bit. It seemed like there were some opportunities for him to put in some pocket passes for Millsap in the pick and roll. Um, there were also some hints in there that I think that Schroeder was saying that it won't necessarily be the role man who finishes the play, but it may be that the role man, you know, gets a couple dribbles open towards the basket. And then when the defense rotates, uh, the role man will have to make a pass and, you know, continue to go through the options of their offense. And then on transition defense, Schroeder was saying that you know, they've got four backs. Specifically, the power forward is dropping back now in an attempt to wall off John Wall. That seems like a sensible strategy. You know, Wall is so good on the different types of finishes at the rim in transition. Once he's going so fast down the court with the ball, 
you really need two bodies there so that he can't do a euro step and step around so that enough space is occupied that he can't walk in freely to the rim as far as other things go you know one big question headed into game three Saturday is how much does Dwight Howard play he was asked about not playing much in the fourth quarter and second half of game two and he said you know he wants to play but if he doesn't you know he's willing to do what's in the best interest of the team and what coach thinks is best and and he would live with it but he's a competitor and of course he wanted to be out there there are some pieces on the internet uh <laughs> i don't know what's the kind way to put it that, that, that disparaged him i know that there was one on the ringer there was one on deadspin um you know there was even one on the onion i think they to a degree tore him a new one which is probably a little bit deserved in a way. I think it's a matter of execution over theory. I think a big man can play in this series. I think Howard should be able to play against Gortat. I don't think it's a bad matchup. You know, as if you compare Howard playing in this series to how he should play in a bunch of series, he seems like a pretty good fit with Gortat in there. But, you know, his execution hasn't been great. He probably needs to be more aggressive. He needs to dive on loose balls. He needs to be more physical, lean on people harder, push people harder. Don't hesitate to get fouls. If he gets fouls, he gets fouls, and then they play small. That's not that huge a concern, especially since they like to finish the game going small. And, you know, some of those pieces weren't entirely accurate. The ringer one, for example, uh, faulted him for not hedging properly. Well, they're playing a drop-back pick-and-roll coverage. He's not supposed to hedge. He's supposed to be dropping back and protecting the rim. So there's nothing you can do about that. So, you know, theoretically, I think the pick-and-roll defense that they're using, I think the fact that they're using Howard, I think these are all defensible moves, but they won't be unless Dwight actually executes them. And they're going to have to make some quick dis- decisions in Game 3 as to how long they can go with Howard if he doesn't show that immediate spark in the first few minutes. A bigger question for the Hawks, maybe, maybe it's not quite as big as the Dwight question, but it's up there, is that they don't have a ton of spacing. They're not getting a huge volume of three-point looks, and the ones that they're getting, they're definitely not making at a high clip. I think they're below 25% for the series, which is rather abysmal. And so they may need to play small, just as a matter of course of trying to get better looks from three but at the same time you know the Wizards aren't shooting that well from three either so you know it's it's interesting and you know can the Hawks get hot from three before the Wizards it's it's going to be hard for them to do that when the Wizards have the two best guards in the series but you know what may happen if if they keep their defense up and they figure out a way to get some things going on offense you know, they're in a little bit of a, con- the Hawks, that is, are in a little bit of a conundrum with respect to offense and trying to set up three-pointers because, you know, they want to play shooting threats like Jose Calderon, Mike Dunleavy Jr. And to an extent, they worked. You know, if you look at the stretch between somewhere in the end of first quarter, beginning of second quarter, when Calderon and Dunleavy were in there and the Hawks had shooters all over the floor, including Muscala, I think, at that point, 
the driving lanes were open, Dennis was still in the game, and he was driving repeatedly on Brandon Jennings and getting whatever he wanted, uh, driving the ball to the rim in those situations. So, you know, even though Dunleavy had a box score full of zeros, he had a positive plus minus and a positive effect on the game, even though he wasn't doing it in any tangible way for the box score. The problem is, is that playing Dunleavy, and especially Calderon, gets dicey on the defensive end. Um, because, you know, at, in the third, fourth quarter gap, when the uh, the Wizards had their bench unit out there, Brandon Jennings got going and started making some very difficult shots, but he made them. And he was making them over Calderon, and he was making them repeatedly, and he got the arena behind them and, and sparked a big run. So it's kind of a darned if you do, darned if you don't situation. You know, and it goes back to the problem of the Hawks don't have a ton of great two-way players. So it's going to be interesting. Um, Cephalosia, is he going to play that much? Is this a flag that the Hawks aren't going to pursue, pursue him that hard in free agency? You know, you've got big questions uh, ahead of the Hawks. And the biggest question of all is, can they avoid a 3-0 hole? If they lose the next game, you know, it's pretty much series over. So the Hawks have to make quick decisions. They have to play with some energy. And they've got to figure out, you know, what options that they have. And they have a lot of options because they've got a deep and flexible roster are the right options to win game three and win it early and in the first half and get things rolling for the second half. I'm looking forward to Game 3. I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say about Game 3. So let me know on Twitter what you think of this particular podcast and what you're looking for in Game 3. Have a good one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.